Hey guys, welcome to episode 2 of the Football First podcast. This week we're going to be covering the latest games. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, this week we're going to be talking about, obviously, what's happening with the Premier League. Um, a couple of transfer rumours for you. And uh, we're going to have a wee section called, Do You Remember That? Um, just some stories from the uh, the Premier League era gone by that might have slipped your mind, but uh, they were <laughs> pretty shocking at the time. So, thanks for joining me. Sit back, strap in, and let's do this. Okay, guys, so look, let's start with a big question here. How do we resolve the Premier League debacle as it stands? Obviously, the problem is COVID-19. There's a worldwide pandemic. Um, so, you know, not much we can really do about that. A couple of proposed solutions. Um, we'll just run through a few of them here. The ones I've picked out are probably the uh, the most likely to happen out of some of the mental ideas we've heard, including play out the rest of the games on a... Uh, an aircraft carrier out at sea. That would be interesting. Uh, okay, so null and void the league is a possibility. This works in the favour of a few teams in the relegation zone, a couple of teams that have struggled this season and are currently floating around the bottom there. They would get a buy ball. The proposed idea would either see European competition suspended for next season uh, or it would see all teams who qualified last term go back into the hat next term, which is a little harsh on Sheffield United, isn't it? I mean, Chris Wilder's men have done so well this season. They, I mean, there's obviously no guarantee they will finish in the European place, but as it stands, they're right up there with the best of them. Um, they certainly deserve a chance at it, in my opinion. Uh, the other thing is Liverpool would not be crowned champions, and there would be no relegations or promotions. So it's harsh on Liverpool, but I guess that's life. Um, it's harsh on Sheffield United, it's harsh on Manchester United as well, who, as I mean, they've won, you know, the, well, they haven't won, but they're, 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 the last 10 games have looked really impressive. Um, I think they're unbeaten in their last 10. Someone tell me if I'm wrong there. Um... I think that there's a strong possibility that they could push for top four, you know, if the season hadn't been interrupted. So I think it's a bit harsh on them. Really, really, really harsh on Leeds, who, don't get me wrong, there's a strong possibility Leeds could have made a mess of it and not made it up. You know, we've seen that before. But the way things were going, very possible that we're going to come up either as champions or in the automatic promotion place from the championship. West Brom as well. A little harsh on them. Stavon Village's men have been great all season. Uh... Another proposal would be a 22-team uh, league for next season. So the pro- this proposal would basically see no relegations this season. It would push an extra two teams up from the championship, which would probably be West Brom and Leeds. And it would see five teams relegated at the end of the following season from the Premier League. So for the uh, start of next season, we would have 22 teams playing in the league. That could be interesting. As that stands, because there would be a promotion double promotion um, you, from the championship you would assume one of them would be crowned champions uh, that I assume then means Liverpool would be crowned champions of the Premier League um, the other potential and most likely as it stands is to finish the season I mean as things stand the current plan with the Premier League Chiefs uh, they've stated that they want the league wrapped up no later than June UEFA said the other day they want it wrapped up no later than August um, all games will be played behind closed doors which is a bit um a bit disheartening, a bit of a downer, but you know, at the end of the day, it has to be done. This might be a stupid thing to say, but what about social distancing? I mean, that might be in place for up to 12 months. Footballers aren't exempt from the virus, as we've seen. Um, surely, you know, if they're not exempt from the virus, why would they be exempt from the protocols that are in place to stop the spread of the virus? Look, I know that's a bit over the top, but picture this Chelsea are playing Leicester behind closed doors. Say Jamie Vardy's a, carry- a carrier, but he's asymptomatic. He then plays, touches multiple players, including his own teammates. Obviously, it's a contact sport. Two weeks passes before anyone from that game starts to show symptoms. And in those two weeks, both Chelsea and Leicester have played two other teams. 
I know that sounds crazy, like it's a bit far-fetched, but that has potential for disaster. Uh, I mean, from those options, look, what are the what's the best outcome? A, option A is a bit harsh on a few teams, as we went over. Uh, if that opinion was exercised, the league would be expected to restart in August. Um, option B would make next season interesting, but it would also see the season expecting to start in August, same as option A. And option C would probably be the best result for fans because there is a rumour that there's a TV mega deal in the works. Um, it would basically broadcast all remaining Premier League games on British TV. Now, as far as I can tell, that is terrestrial free TV. That is ITV. That is BBC, which I'm sure would do a bit of damage to BT and Sky. But hey, look at the damage they've been doing to our pockets for the last couple of decades. So, uh the unfortunate thing about all the remaining options, I think, is that no matter what happens, we're most likely going to see all remaining games played in empty stadiums, which is just a bit grim. But I guess some things are bigger than football. Though, on a side note, I mean, no disrespect to Liverpool fans with this in any way, but could you imagine waiting 30 years to lift your first title and having to lift it in an empty stadium? No atmosphere. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, the game, like if it does, if the, if the if the season does finish that way, and they do actually see it out, when Liverpool are set to lift that title, I can absolutely guarantee you, if there's not forty five thousand people inside Anfield, there'll be forty five thousand people outside Anfield. I can almost guarantee that, regardless of police presence. But I mean, still thirty years empty stadium, it's horrible. That is sad. Um, my opinion of it all, to be honest with you, is option C, just play the season out. But that's for selfish reasons. What's your opinion on it? Hit us up on Twitter. It's at FootballFirstPL. Uh, we're going to be dropping a poll later on, shortly after this podcast drops. We'll keep it up for a couple of weeks. So, guys, please fire on there. Give us your vote. Tell us what you think. Option A, B, or C. Uh, we will touch base on the poll results in our next show. Okay, so, look, we're going to keep this short. Uh, we're going to be focusing on the most popular transfer rumours that are currently floating about the web. This is from probably over the last seven to ten days i've done a good bit of research on these there's a lot of names that i could quote to use there's a lot of stuff floating about there a lot of rumors for loads of different players loads of different teams i'm going to focus on what seems to be the most solid um if you think i'm wrong as usual guys please hit me up i'm uh i love hearing your opinions so uh the first name comes to mind young Jaden sancho um it is confirmed and to my knowledge was confirmed a while back the England International will leave the signal to a Park in the next window for Pastures New. As it stands, there's no real frontrunner to sign the exciting young winger. That's according to Sky Sources. Um, if you speak to Chelsea fans, they're going to tell you he's going to the bridge. United fans will tell you he's on his way to Old Trafford. City to the Etihad, Liverpool to Anfield. They're all convinced that their club is his next stop and the right stop for him. It's hard to say where he's going to end up. Um, I'm sure there's a host of clubs, both in, in this country and on the... Uh, the international scale who are lined up to get their hands on him. I think uh, he's such an exciting talent, Like, but I think wherever he ends up, it depends on the movement of other clubs in the window. That's my honest opinion on, of it. For example, if our next featured player um, in this segment leaves his current club, surely Jaden Sancho would be the preferred replacement for him, almost a direct replacement. On that note, there's not much more else to say about him because... There's no front runner for his future. It's like it's literally flip a coin. Do you know what I mean? He could go. He could end up anywhere. The next player in the segment that was talking about and uh, Sancho being the perfect replacement for him, in my opinion, um, he's a player who has been linked with a move away from his club recently. Liverpool fans just might want to cover your ears for this, but I am, of course, talking about Sadio Mane. Um, 
Look, he seems really happy at Anfield, but the rumour just won't go away. Um, you know, we've been hearing this for months now. Uh, this week's been no different. Speculation's been mounting that uh, the Red Star winger is set to join Real Madrid in the summer. The Galacticos, according to reports in Spain, have made Manny their main target with view to bring him in for as a long-term replacement for Gareth Bale, who has very recently been linked to Everton. And apparently there's a lot there's a lot to suggest that that could actually happen. Really interesting move for the Toffees if that come off. Um, honestly, Bale, he hasn't done bad at Madrid. I think everyone from this country would agree he's not the player he was for Spurs uh, when Harry Redknapp sort of pulled him through the ranks um, and pushed him up into the playing on the wings as opposed to playing at fullback. But... I don't know. I rate Gareth Bale. I do. I just don't. Th- I don't think it's. I think he should have left Madrid a couple of years back. I think he sort of stalled a little bit, and he could have been so much more than what he has become. That's with no disrespect to the man. He's obviously done extremely well, um. But he definitely hasn't filled Ronaldo's shoes since he left. Um, Vinicius Junior has done very well, but again, probably just not quite stepped into the shoes. That's what they. That's what. Uh, that's what Madrid see Mane is as a direct replacement for Ronaldo, and they're hoping that they can build him into the player they want him to be. Liverpool find themselves in a great position in terms of holding on to the player. Um, I don't think there's a player in the world who doesn't consider his options when Real Madrid or Barcelona come knocking. I, I don't. I really don't. I don't care where you grew up or where you're from. If you're from Northern Ireland like me, and you play for whoever you play for Crusaders, and you end up going and playing in League One. And then you make it up the championship, and then you make it the Premier League, and you're an average player and a 25 Real Madrid come knocking. I have no ties to Real Madrid. I'm not Spanish, but I, of course you're going to you're going to consider it highly. You know, you'll be training at the finest establishments in the world. Like you'll have the best coaching staff, you'll have the best equipment, you have the best of the best. The, the, as far as the technology can push football, that's what you'd be working with. So I think for any player, it's really tempting. Sadio Mane, no different. Although, as I say, he seems very happy at Anfield, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Next name on the list uh, is one that Arsenal fans won't be delighted to hear, but I think any realistic Arsenal fan knows he's probably not hanging about much longer. It's Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Oh, baggy man, as Michael Owen calls him. Uh, Real Madrid again. According to a few newspapers in England, they've identified Aubameyang as a target. Um, I wouldn't be too worried, though. Arsenal fans, apparently he is their third choice. Sadio Mane first, and then the recently transferred Erling Haaland. Uh the biggest name at the minute who's knocking on the door, apparently with £50 million cash in hand for Obama Yang, is Manchester United. Could be Van Persie all over again. We could see him heading off and... Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, Nick Pope is the other name I have to mention for you guys. As I say, I'm only really sticking with the ones that seem to be relatively solid. Both Chelsea and Spurs are touted to be prepared to go for war, sorry, to go to war in order to land the Burnley stopper. He's had a brilliant season. Um, he was obviously in contention to be England's number one for the Euros before the tournament was cancelled. In my opinion, he was probably at that stage where he should have been picked as number one. Um, just looked marginally better than the other two. Both clubs are determined to make the Englishman their new number one between the sticks. What does that mean for Hugo Lloris and Kepa? You tell me. I think they'll be on their way. I couldn't imagine they'll play second fiddle to anybody, just as I couldn't see Nick Pope moving from a very good setup at Burnley to, don't get me wrong, with no disrespect to Burnley, a better setup at Chelsea or Spurs, but to play second fiddle to anybody. I just couldn't see that, in my opinion. All right, guys, check this out. This obviously not a Premier League related one, but given the current scenario and uh, the desperation for any sort of football whatsoever, I mean, like, seriously. I, I was I was uh, walking the 
the dog around the park the other day and I was quite happy to stand and watch someone's dog chase a ball. It was just thrilling. It really was. Um, anyway, listen, get prepared for this. Check this one out. The news this week is that Xavi, the legend himself, is ready for his Barcelona return. He believes he's ready to manage Barcelona, but he insists there can't be any toxicity in the dressing room of the new camp. Uh, obviously, they've been known for that in the past. The midfielder spent the majority of his playing career with Barcelona from 1998 to 2015. Played more than 700 games. He won eight La Liga titles and four Champions Leagues. That's on his own. That's insane. Uh, he, he quoted saying, I am clear that I want to return to Barcelona. It gives me a lot of excitement. Uh, he said that in an interview with La Vanguardia. Um, he says that now he, that he has seen himself coaching, he thinks that he can bring things to the players at Barcelona. To quote again, he said, but I made it clear to them that I saw myself in a project that started from zero and in which the decision-making was mine. Now, I, I'm not stating any names, but Lionel Messi. That could very well be shots fired at Messi. Um, very exciting, though. Could you imagine Xavi taking the reins at Barca? Wow. Okay, so this segment is a little bit different. Given the current global scenario, we're a little bit stuck for subjects. So we thought we would dig through the vault and find a few of those, you know, sort of, mate, remember that? Those kind of moments? Some are sad, some are funny, some are pretty shocking. Uh, Look, let's get into it. Um, This one is a little bit sad, so just prepare yourselves. Do you remember this guy, Wilson Palacios? We all remember him, right? Bit of a regular in the Prem, played for Wigan, Spurs, Stoke. He was a half-decent defensive midfielder. I think he was from Honduras. I don't know why, but I always remember him scoring his first goal for Spurs. I'm not a Spurs fan, by the way. I just remember this. I think it was against Hull, I think. If any of you know that, actually, let me know without me Googling it. It was nothing special. He gets the ball slotted down the left-hand side, lets the ball run across his body, and he just puts it past the keeper to his near post. As I said, it was nothing special. I just always remember that. I really don't know why. Anyway... If you're a Spurs fan, you may recall in 2009 he dropped out of the squad for a while and struggled to regain his place shortly after. Uh, it turns out there was a pretty grim reason behind all that. As some of you may already know from the time, apparently it was reported, but like I don't really remember this being mentioned, to be honest. Wilson Palacios' brother was kidnapped and held for ransom in October 2007 before he was finally killed by his captors in May 2009, two years later. <sighs> Grim. I mean, like, look, Honduras is obviously a pretty violent place. There's street gangs running every corner. It's believed that a street gang targeted Wilson's teenage brother because of his older sibling's success in the Premier League. Uh, according to reports, the gang demanded two hundred thousand US dollars in ransom for the man's release. Uh, they did pay the amount, but the gang didn't hold up their end of the bargain. Um, I assume they thought that if it was that easy to get payment, they could probably just keep extorting them for more money. Uh, after 18 months, Edwin Palacios' body was discovered and returned to his family. It's really sad. Rest in peace, Edwin. Uh, right, now we're out of the furnace and into the fire with this next one. Jermaine Defoe, the legend that he is, obviously still at it, playing up in Scotland for Stephen Gerrard's Rangers. He's done all right, given the fact that he's 37 and he needs no introduction. He's Jermaine Defoe. Um, I've added him to this list as I forgot this incident even happened. And the strangest thing is it happened within one month of the loss of Edwin Palacios' brother, and Defoe was Palacios' teammate at the time at Spurs. Crazy. Jermaine Defoe's half-brother, Jade, was killed after being attacked on a night out in London. The 26-year-old, he was an aspiring rapper, and he was supposedly killed after taking a single punch. It does happen. Uh, there's a quote from the BBC. Uh, Christopher Farley, 34, of Kingswood Road, Leightonstone, East London, was convicted of manslaughter. 
Uh, Farley rode up on his BMX bicycle to confront Mr. Defoe and start a row before knocking him unconscious, the court heard. He later told officers he had accused Mr. Defoe of breaking into his house but was angered that the other man did not seem to take him seriously. Mr. Defoe fractured his skull when he fell to the pavement. Just like that, one punch, guys. It's not worth it. Like, rest in peace, Jade. Uh, right, let's, let's lighten it up a bit here. This one is a cracker. We all remember the film Green Street, right? Green Street Elite. Who didn't? Wow, what a show. Who didn't love that? The hammers in Millwall, the brutal fight scenes, that's the one. Well, did you know that at the time of shooting the film, the BBC ran an episode of Crime Watch, which isn't exactly unusual, but this time they showed a clip of crowd trouble between West Ham and Millwall during a League Cup game. That's a League Cup game, sorry, not a League Cup game. And they explained that they have identified up to 66 suspects that they wish to speak to. Then the famous words, if you can identify any of these people, please get in touch. The 66 mugshots were posted on the Crime Watch website and six of the images found to be belonging to, yes, you guessed it, the cast of Green Street. (laughs) Isn't that mad? The best thing about it is that the Toilet Roll Alternative Sun newspaper ran the story and the mugshots too. Absolute morons. Mental. Anyway, as I say, with this section, we're trying to keep things a little bit uh, lighter and brighter by the first two stories. Did you know this? An English league game that was played in 1894. It'll forever go down in history of football as being the only game in history to have three halves. The match was between Sunderland and Derby County. It started with somebody standing in as deputy referee as the original referee was late. The match was played for 45 minutes. The original referee then turned up and ordered the full 90 minutes to be played. Sunderland won 11 0. Isn't that nuts? I don't actually know if they did. Like, obviously, they played three halves, but I don't know if they only counted the two halves. But judging by the 11 0 scoreline, I would say they probably counted all three. Um, I'm going to finish with this one, guys. Uh, sorry, I'm not. I have two more to go for you. Um, we'll start with this one because I think uh, this was like. <sighs> It was to the day anyway. I can't remember exactly how many years ago, but it was to this day, the 2nd of April, many, many, many moons ago. It was the Lee Boyer and Kieran Dyer fight for Newcastle. Who remembers this? How could you not remember this? This is one of my first, not my first football memories, but like I was a teenager when this happened. And looking back at that, like I just always remember that. I don't know why. I, just, I do know why, but it was so funny. But I mean, right. So basically, the score was Newcastle were playing Aston Villa. Newcastle had finished fifth the year before under Sir Bobby Robson. Come April 2005, Graham Sinesse was in charge. Patrick Clifford had forgotten how to find the net and Newcastle were dwindling away in 10th place. They took on Villa in a game which produced one of the most bizarre moments. <laughs> Lee Boyer took his frustration out on his teammate, Kieran Dyer. So it was about 10 minutes to go. Uh, Boyer confronted Dyer, who responded by saying, the reason I don't pass to you is because you're shite, basically. That's what he said. A grapple then followed. Uh, Dyer seemingly made the first aggressive arm movement, albeit probably with his palm, not a fist. But that prompted two consecutive punches from Lee Boyer, who's a man who just doesn't take any crap. Um, Dyer then appeared to be on the verge of a retaliative punch, but the players of both teams arrived and intervened. Players were dragged away. Um, I think Lee Boyer had his shirt ripped at the back of the neck or something and then obviously both players were sent off which left Newcastle <laughs> captained by a furious Alan Shearer to finish the match with eight players Um, I think it was eight players I think there was already someone who had been sent off for Newcastle in that game somebody let me know if I'm right on that actually it might be nine but I think it was eight the pair continued to spat down the tunnel and they had to be separated by two club staff members after which Sunes reportedly challenged them that players not the staff members to a fight if they thought they were tough guys so basically said look if you think these are big lads come and fight me and i don't think anyone stepped up to it soon as a bit of a hard nut 
Last one, guys, we're going to leave you on is Robbie Fowler. And this is the one that I always remember from being a kid and the fair play incident. We'll finish on a nice note, given that people are really looking out for people at the minute. I think this one's a nice one to finish with. Imagine a striker asking a referee not to award a penalty. That's what happened in March 1997. Liverpool striker Robbie Fowler went down in the area against Arsenal. Official, who was Gerald Ashby, uh, pointed to the spot, but Fowler asked him to change his mind. The ref refused, and Fowler had his penalty saved by David Seaman. But the Reds' teammate, Jason McAteer, tucked in the rebound. Liverpool won the match 2-1, and Fowler has since said, I just remember getting up and seeing David Seaman. There was all this talk of did he dive or didn't he, but I just lost momentum when I jumped over well, when I jumped over him and fell over. So he's basically saying, I didn't go down, I just lost my momentum and fell over. It was I wasn't trying for a penalty. To quote Robbie Fowler again, he said, it wasn't a pen. And because he was my mate from the England side, I just said it wasn't a pen. They just don't make him like that anymore, do they? I mean, like, wow, Robbie Fowler, what a player. Guys, that's the end of this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. From the good old days to what will happen going forward, we have enjoyed covering all of today's topics as always, and we love hearing your thoughts. You can check us out on Twitter. It's at FootballFirstPL. And feel free to hit us up with any feedback or opinions from today's show. On a final note, I would just like to say that although we all miss football an awful, 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 awful lot, and we really, really do, some things in life are just more important. We currently don't get to watch the game we love for obvious reasons, but we don't have it anywhere near as hard as those guys who are out there on the front line. I'm talking about the doctors, the nurses, the emergency response staff, supermarket workers who could pay the least out of anybody. And of course, your care assistants who are out there doing their bit for the people in the community that matter most to us, our elderly relatives. We're all very grateful for everything that you guys are doing. And if this virus teaches us anything going forward, let's hope that it's this. We can all get along. We can all club together as communities and as a larger society to help those around us who are in need. Regardless of what team you support, what race you are, colour your skin, whatever God you believe in, we can all work together to make life better for everyone. We're doing that right now. It should not take a global pandemic for us to do this. But it's amazing to see. And as I say, let's hope that that's what we take from this and that's what it teaches us, that we are all one. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe. And until next time, take it easy. Thank you.